welcome to the Judging More Than Just the Cover podcast. I'm Amber Gregg. Each month we will talk about a popular book. And today we're going to be talking about the book An Anonymous Girl. And I'm here with two of my friends. Hi, I'm Kate Oda and I am currently querying my spy-fi. My name is James Moore and I just got done with the first draft of my second novella and aspire to write screenplays. So this book An Anonymous Girl is a thriller, and it's about a girl who is struggling for money, and she ends up weaseling her way into a study about morality and ethics, and it turns into this weird connection with the psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist is trying to figure out if her husband is going to cheat on her, because he has in the past, Uh, so it turns into this kind of creepy, who is more obsessed with the other type of story. And I do want to give a disclaimer that this discussion will contain spoilers. So if you have not read the book yet, I suggest you stop here and come back once you've read the book. So I just want to start off by asking you guys, what were your overall thoughts about the book? What What's kind of pressing at you the most? Well, for me, the book Started off a little slow, in my opinion, but I think I've been molded by society. The instant gratification, the early open and credit explosion, and, and Marvel superhero type stuff. But um, after reading it, there was a point about maybe not quite a third of the way in the book where it got to can't put it down stage and ended up staying up late at night, getting done at two o'clock in the morning reading this book. It's very engaging. That's, that was my first impression of it. Yeah. The authors did a really great job of building up the characters and making you care, especially about Jessica, and then slowly introducing the creepy elements, and then it just, like, snowballed. I hit the point of don't put it down, I think, a little bit later than you did, but that, that point did come. It was just creepy, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the overall vibe that I got, too, and It was one of those books where until you get to the end, you're not really sure who you can trust. And even at the end, which we could talk about more later, but I wasn't really sure if Jessica was even someone that we could trust by the way that it ended. I don't know. I I was hooked, but I think I was more hooked because I knew you guys were reading it (laughs) and you all were ahead of me. So I felt like I had to read to catch up. But I did get hooked into it once I started going. Um, but I am a serial book hopper. So I will read a couple of chapters of one book, I'll go to another book, and I'll come back. So I, this was good motivation for me to just stick to this book and finish it. And I finished it in a couple sittings, actually. So I also wanted to talk about the ending. So the last line was, was it worth it? So that line is what through me about Jessica if she was kind of the mastermind behind it all. Like, I've seen some theories online about that, too, or if that's too out there of a theory that she actually weaseled her way into the study. Like, she knew that one of her makeup clients would be going to a study, and she found a way to get her way in there because she really needed the money. So it's kind of a question of who's playing who, and then when you have the husband and the wife... Sometimes it seemed like the husband was the one in control and manipulating his wife to do these things for him so that he wouldn't get in trouble. And then sometimes it seemed like the wife was really the one 
and control. So what are your thoughts about that? I got the impression that everyone was trying to gain control, but it was more of a three-way tug of war that no one was really in control at any given moment. I really saw um, Dr. Shields, and I just can't call him by her first name because she just <laughs> she's too Bond villainish. That she was the puppet master throughout the whole thing. There was a point where I really thought Thomas, her husband, might be oh, you know, he might be the guy that's controlling everything. Mm-hmm. But because of the structure of the book, you know, Jessica would have a chapter, then Dr. Shields would have a chapter. If they ever had given a chapter to Thomas, I was like, okay, Thomas is pulling some strings too. But that didn't happen, so I knew that. He wasn't really one in control because he wasn't part of the narrative. That's interesting because I think the unknown of his POV could say the opposite, that he is the one in control because we at least know what Dr. Shields was thinking. But yeah, I think by the end, I still think that Dr. Shields was the one controlling the most, but she ended up losing in the end anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think the theory that Jessica was masterminded this is maybe a kind of overthinking yeah and she's just referring to the initial was it worth it to you know sneak onto this thing and that whole ending just a little bit deflated her in my mind as the protagonist you know i was she's not she wasn't quite the hero right that was hoping for her to be at the end i wasn't i'm not going to say i didn't like the ending at all it was a little bit more realistic maybe I guess I was looking for a little bit more fairy tale. I guess it is a happy ending for her, though, because she did go through the emotional trauma of everything with Dr. Shields. And so I can see her side that getting the monthly payments is kind of, well, that's the least you could do. He has enough money. They're obviously very well off. She's not. She got thrown into this weird family drama that she didn't want any part of. You know, a little bit of money. We don't know how much money. It could be a thousand dollars. It could be ten thousand. I don't know what the monthly installments are and how much it's actually going to hurt Thomas. But it sounds like it wasn't his money anyway. It sounded like it was Doctor Shields' money. And then you brought up the perspectives, the POVs. So, what did you guys think about the different POVs? Because it didn't really tell you whose POV you were in, besides. She started saying you. So the first time that we switched into Dr. Shields' POV, it was a little jarring. And because of the way that it was written, very formally, very passively, almost like it was a psychiatrist's log. What did you guys think about that? Uh, at the point where Jessica was going through her own file, I thought that all of Dr. Shields' chapters were actually in that log and that it was literally what she had been writing because it was, you know, second person perspective and like you said, passive, whereas Jessica's were very internal first person, got all those emotions. But once once it was revealed it was Dr. Shields who was the second narrator, I thought it was a great way to differentiate who was who without every chapter being like, this is Jessica, this is Dr. Shields. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I think it was really revealing for our antagonist, Dr. Shields, that to find out that she actually thinks that way. She goes throughout her, her life, I think, analyzing just about everybody she runs into. And people that she has associations with, she keeps a, a file in the back of her head. That's, that's the feeling I get from the way that was structured to know how to manipulate that person if she needs to later on. I got that impression from her that everybody out there has buttons to push. 
to get them to do what I want. But in some ways, she wasn't very good at it because there were times where she was being lied to and she didn't even realize it. Or she'd be like, oh, you're acting kind of weird. I thought that she should be able to recognize that they were lying because she could tell other things super easily. I mean, I think I think her main blind spot was Thomas because she had such a strong emotional connection to him that she wanted him to do things and therefore kind of projected onto him that he was doing it. So what were your thoughts on the actual ethics and morality of what she was doing? Because she says that it was a study on that, but really it was she was manipulating other people and involving innocent people like the guy that Jessica had to go hit on at the bar and try to persuade him to cheat on his wife. What do you think? Do you think that it was, well, we'll we'll start with that guy. Do you think that it was unfair to him or do you think, well, if he went along with it, then he deserved whatever's coming to him? Well, I, there's a a temptation to, to think that in, dealing with the real world that that aspect of the book kind of show at one point, it just seemed like everybody was moral when it's convenient, which isn't morality (laughs) at all. So it was um, just a lot of hypocritical characters at one point. And the people that did seem moral were on the fringes. They were on the outside. They weren't fully developed. Like just because parents, they seem moral. Her sister, of course, you know, seem moral and, Noah seemed like a, a pretty good guy because when they, it's, it seemed like he wasn't taking advantage, you know, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. But these are people like on the outskirts of the story that we're reading. Everybody that we know details about are, are immorals. And I wonder if that was part of the message she was trying to portray that when you really find out about somebody, you find out that they're not as clean as you think they are. Uh, I noticed that not only that, but if they thought they were being watched, they were acting morally. But if they didn't think they were being watched, they were just doing whatever they wanted to do. Like the uh, museum where Jessica paid like $10 for her ticket and then went back and paid more later. She was like, well, this might be part of the test. So I'll just be as you know moral as I can. Yeah, that's a good point. Because she did have that thought a lot. Like, okay, is this part of the test? Is this part of the test? Even with the lady that was on the street and hurt, she felt like, oh, is this part of the test? Should I do something? Did I call fast enough? Is it okay that I walked away to go to the other part of the test? It was kind of a dilemma that I don't know if she would have had otherwise. Yeah. She probably actually would have stayed longer if she didn't think that going to the museum was the other part of the test. I was in some psych studies in college, and you totally do that. You go in there, you're like, is this part of the test? Is how I sit down part of the test? Are you watching me right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it totally happens. I did some of those studies as well. I was in a psychology class, and part of our assignment was to go to a couple of these studies. And I thought it was, well, I did do some where I was in a room by myself. But most of them, you were in a room with like 100 other people, and you were just answering a bunch of questions. So I found it super creepy that she was getting personalized responses back. And I also thought it was weird that she's like, how do you know? I mean, you're in a room in a study. <laughs> Obviously, they're watching you. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Like, I don't know. That just seemed really bizarre to me. You know, she'd be picking on her fingernails or whatever. And she's like, how do you know? How do you know that, that I'm doing this? I think in some ways, she's a little naive. The Jessica character, to me, I'm trying to decide if the 
the author just made mistakes in sending her up as a character initially because she seemed to be more malleable than a person should be to Dr. Shields' charms and the whole idea of the study at first. And, you know, maybe I'm just, things just look easier when you're the person reading the book and say, oh, I would never do that if I was in that situation. But she seems so easily swayed at the beginning. And then throughout the book, she, she gains some strength, I guess, because of her circumstances, what she goes through. But at, up front, she's almost like Clea. Yeah. So, I mean, did they, did you feel the same way? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I felt like she was way too intrigued by just how Dr. Shields looked and acted. And she was like, oh, she's so wonderful and great. I just want to make her happy. Like, that's not how I'd feel about a therapist. <laughs> you know? just met. Yeah. I think part of it was they kept saying that she did have this pull to her. Dr. Shields did. And even Thomas said that that's part of the reason why he couldn't leave her. He's like, you just, you can't just leave her because of who she is. I did think it was a little extreme. I don't think that anyone is fully drawn to another person like that, that you just met unless you have like some sort of creepy stalker vibe. But I did feel like just had kind of like uh, love or infatuation for Dr. Shields. But the fact that she did that with Another girl, even though that girl went into it with the intentions of kind of sabotaging Dr. Shields and Thomas's relationship, she did, I think, actually start to really like Dr. Shields and form an actual connection. I don't think she was really faking that. But as far as Jess goes, yeah, I agree. I think that she did dive into it and was too trusting. But I think the very first line of the book was something about how you can't judge what a person will do if you don't know their circumstances. And she felt like she really needed that money to help her family. And I think that's kind of the author's justification for pretty much everything that Jess does is she's like, well, I'm getting money for my family and I feel guilty about what happened to my sisters. So I'll do basically anything because this is in her mind, kind of an easy way to get money. But would you guys do that? I mean, if you were getting thousands of dollars just to go do these weird tests, would you do would you do it? No. There was a study I was invited to in grad school where it was $1,000, which is awesome for a grad student. Yeah. But they were going to inject you with ketamine and put you in an MRI for an hour. And I was like, oh, no, thank you. <laughs> that sounds terrible. So I, I found my line. That was my line. See, I think that is a clear, hard no for me. Anything that has to do with your physical health. But honestly, I would be tempted because she didn't really know what the study was about. She just knew like morality and ethics. She didn't know how far it was going to go. So up front, it sounds fine. She said you could back out at any time. If you were nervous or whatever, you could back out. I mean, really, that wasn't an option (laughs) once she got down to it. But I would be tempted, I think. I think it, uh, I would have stopped or asked to stop before she did. But if you threw $1,000 in my face and you're like, yeah, I just need you to dress up and go to this bar for a little bit. And she didn't know that she was going to be hitting on a married guy when she agreed to go do it. And she actually thought Dr. Shields was going to be there, too. She's like, oh, we're going to this bar. But I think that's where I would have been like, um, yeah, I don't know. I agree with this, but she did keep getting pulled back. She did have those doubts, and somehow Dr. Shields kept convincing her that this is all fine. Well, to answer your question from my perspective, in trying to be fair to Jessica, I'm trying to bring myself back to, okay, I'm in my mid to late 20s, and I'm thinking about all the stupid things I did in my mid to late 20s. 
and the circumstances she's you know she's got a job but you know she's got a lot of she's got some heavy financial responsibilities because of her sister that she feels guilty about and would I put on a dress and go and proposition some guy and I think maybe I would especially the way you were drawn in that wasn't the first proposition to her if that was the very first thing I want you to put on this dress I want you to flirt with this guy she probably would have said no herself but after going through the study and burying yourself psychologically and emotionally to someone and you start to feel that connection and you know you suppose that Dr. Shields has this charisma this you know connection to people that she can make that I can see somebody falling into that swirling vortex of okay I'm into this deep so far I might as well put on the dress I also had an issue with the fact that it was called an anonymous girl and they did use that line later in the book but she was never really anonymous. Even with the study, I was shocked by how much she revealed in the study. And in the studies that I've done, I've said some personal things. I'm, I'm assuming if I'm remembering correctly, but she gave her ID when she walked in there. Like there was literally nothing making her anonymous at all. And she's giving all this personal information and she really doesn't know anything about the study because she didn't officially sign up for it. She just heard about it. And I'd be really skeptical of something like that. Any study that I've done was, it was also through university like it was with her, but my professor said, okay, here's a list of studies. So I felt more comfortable with it. I wouldn't be like, yeah, I'm going to go on Craigslist. I'm going to find some random study. I'm going to go, I'm going to give them my ID. Then I'm going to tell them all my deepest, darkest secrets. And that wouldn't feel anonymous at all. Well, I, I kind of got the title because I don't I don't think that she was anonymous in the book. In fact, it was something that she desired and went for, but failed over and over again. Her promiscuity as far as meeting strange stranger guys and going to them, she commented on that. And you want to be she wanted to be anonymous in those actions. And there was a point in the book I, she probably wished that no one, Doctor Shields, never met her. That sort of thing. And she seems to be have the capability of taking on personas like she did in the initial scam to get into the study, be somebody else, using somebody else's name to pick up a guy. She desired to be an anonymous girl and turned out she couldn't at every turn. I thought it was more about Dr. Shields wanting just an anonymous girl to throw at Thomas to test him. So I figured it was it was more about what Dr. Shields wanted. Don't you think she was looking for a certain type though? I think she was kind of specific in some areas. Well, yeah, I mean she was going for like a look you know, mm-hmm. that, that Thomas was into, but she wanted it to be someone that Thomas would consider just a random girl. So I thought that it was interesting that she said that she picked Jess because she reminded her of the lady that worked at the boutique. But later it was revealed that she knew all along that he didn't have an affair with the lady from the boutique, and she knew that it was the subject, five. So why did it matter that Jess reminded her of the boutique lady? We might be wading into, well, he knew that she knew that he knew that she knew type situation <laughs> that this that this book can uh, encourage sometimes. I think that since she knew that Thomas chose that lady to be her, his fake affair, that he she would choose someone kind of like her, but younger, thinking that, you know, Thomas has got that kind of woman on his mind. Although we're kind of, like I said, we might be getting into a little bit too deep into, okay, he knows that she knows that she knows that he knows. I thought at some point Dr. Shields said that uh, Jessica was like subject five in certain aspects. Maybe not like hair color or whatever, but, you know, you don't you don't pick someone up because they're like, ooh, a brunette. 
that's my type. She, she definitely seemed to be like a uh, subject five and being easily swayed by Dr. Shields. Cause that was, that was a big pendulum swing. April went from, I'm fascinated with this doctor that I'm seeing and discovering that he has a wife and I want to break up that relationship to, Oh, I'm really, I'll do almost anything for the wife. You know, she really apparently was after Dr. Shields' approval on things on her life and how she lived and that sort of thing. And it couldn't have been more than, I don't know, four, three or four months in that span being liberal. So how does, how does one get swayed in that short period of time? I know she didn't have detail to go into that in the book, but that seemed a little off to me. I mean, the book just constantly kept telling us that Dr. Shields was so persuasive and so charismatic and just sucked people in. But I, I needed it shown a little more. Mm-hmm. I think therapy sessions were glossed over just for time's sake. And I think that's where that connection would have been built. So I, I agree with you. I had a hard time following how she could sway someone that strongly because we were just told and never shown. And I felt like she was actually kind of cold by some of her. I, part of it could be how her chapters were written and how she seemed to really have no like emotional connection. But even when we're told what her reactions are to things, she never really responds caringly. She's kind of like, oh, okay, I'll appease you. And maybe that's part of her allure is that she knows exactly how to kind of calm someone down when they're upset. And that's part of being a psychiatrist as well. But she seemed to, her movements felt almost robotic to me. And that could just be the writing as well. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't very good for her as a sympathetic character that it seemed like every one of her moves involving emotion was telegraphed. They say, oh, I see. I see, Jessica, that you're upset. I'm going to put my hand on your shoulder now. And then she'd do it and say something nice. And it just seems like a robot's doing it. Yeah, she the how she discussed her emotions was also very almost scientific. Like, oh, I see Thomas, and my temperature rises, and my breathing changes. And it's like, all right, but also you have emotions. And I, I mean, I think that was intentional. You have the writer because she is a very clinical person, and I think we are supposed to see. Okay, every move is calculated. She is thinking ahead. She's not. She doesn't care about Jess at all. She's just trying to get to her ideal ending. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say if that's just the way that it was written or if she was actually that cold of a person. And I thought that because there's two authors, I thought that one author wrote Jess's perspective and one author wrote Dr. Shield's perspective, but that wasn't the case. I watched an interview and they said that they actually put it in a Google doc and like almost every line they both had a part in writing, which I think would be extremely difficult (laughs) to write that way. The book took 17 years. (laughs) I thought it was that that way, too, that, you know, someone was in charge of the character. And that is interesting to hear that that wasn't the case. But um, I think that, you know, just to discuss Dr. Shields as an antagonist slash villain in this area, I think she was a good villain, but she came short of being a great villain because you want great villains to have a little bit of some emotion and passion. And she tried to do that at the end, I think, in her weak spot being love for somebody else. But it seemed like too little, too late. It was too late. She's already petting the white cat. She's already opening up the, the pool with the shark in it. She's, she's a Bond villain. And Bond villains are kind of two-dimensional. I got that vision of her throughout the book 
especially with the clinical note type mentality she had towards the rest of the world. My problem was that at the very end, I wasn't sure what her goal exactly was. Like, did she want to get Jessica arrested and destroy her life? I mean, she obviously wanted Thomas to stay with her and love her, but then what What was the plan with Jessica? Because that was just just short of being cleared. I think that's where the, the emotional side of her comes out a little bit, because I think she was just hurt that she was betrayed not just by one subject, but by two, that she trusted them. And I think she kind of knew that Jess and Thomas were in cahoots, even though she didn't actually know that they had hooked up until Jess admitted it. I think she kind of had her suspicions about it. Uh, so I, I thought it was based mainly on revenge and out of spite. We had an agreement and we were supposed to make this bond and I was supposed to have control over you. And now it's clear that I don't have that control over you. So I'm going to basically hammer you into submission and you're going to do what I want. Otherwise, I'm going to ruin your life. I think it was kind of her last effort to try to regain control. I don't know if she would have actually done that to get, well, I mean, with the other subjects, she did go really far. Yeah. I think she would have just disposed of Jessica like she would anything else that she's done with. Because there were a couple of times in the book where she used the phrase, you you belong to me, in talking about Jessica. So after she had served her purpose, she would make sure that Jessica's not a threat to her and that she would be cast aside. That's a really good point because she did that a lot with food. Like she had those navel oranges there just to like scare Jessica and then threw them away. Right. She had that cheese and grapes out. Jessica leaves, throw them away even though they're perfectly good. So you're right. Every time she was like done with whatever, for whatever reason, she out it done. goes. Yeah. That is a good point. And then, so what did you think about with subject five? Do you think that that is murder? Like basically she knew that she had that professional control, even if she hadn't done and gone as far as she had with the study and being manipulative. I think as a psychiatrist, you do automatically have a certain level of control over your clients just because of the nature of it and the person's vulnerable. And that's why if you hook up with your client, like Thomas did, that's why it is such a big deal because no matter what it is, the power dynamic is always in favor of the psychiatrist. Her basically telling April, like, okay, you're done now and gives her basically the weapon to kill herself by giving her the Vicodin pills I mean, obviously, ethically, it's wrong. As a psychiatrist, she would probably lose her license. But is that murder? Can she be? Yes. Uh, Because part of murder is intent. Otherwise, it's like manslaughter or whatever. She wanted April dead, hands down. uh, And she gave her the means to do it and the motivation. Like that case in Massachusetts right now of the girl who is texting her boyfriend to kill himself. And she's being charged with murder. Because she murdered him. I think in addition to that, um, consider the cliche of, okay, a professional boxer has to register his hands as lethal weapons. If he gets in a bar fight and somebody dies, okay, it's a murder because you're so good at fighting that you could kill somebody. I think that with a psychiatrist and you manipulate someone's mind into suicidal state, knowing that that person had that problem before, it's, and then you give them the pills, that's murder. That's a good point. I didn't realize that about boxers. And, well, I've seen it in movies. I don't know if it's really true, <laughs> but, you, but you hear in old movies, yeah. you know, okay, these are registered as lethal weapons. You know, I can't hit you. 
because, you know, I might be in trouble if you die because I'm so good at what I do. And you hear it in karate movies and stuff like that. I don't know if it's true, but there's a point to that cliche, I think, that when you, if you're so good at that profession and you use part of your skill to murder for somebody to die, it can be you can put that in the murder category. So one thing, I don't know if it was just something missed in editing, but Dr. Shields had her assistant, Ben, look up Jess on social media and find out a bunch of information. That's how she knew about Jess's family and where they were going. She looked up her friends' stuff on social media. So it was very unclear to me how Dr. Shields did not know about that photo of April and Thomas in her bed. I thought that she had found that photo and that's why she started doing everything that she did. I thought that's how she found out that he had an affair how would that not have come up in her creepy stalkerish research? I mean, she it was in April's file. She had it. But I, I think she didn't have it until after the fact. And then maybe she had Ben check everyone else in the study to be like, well, I'm not going to be blindsided again. But there was that one scene where just as her last final power move, she brought the picture frame with Thomas in the bed. And Dr. Shields makes a comment about, I don't know if this was taken in your bed, Jess, or in April's bed. So she must not have ever seen the photo before that point. It did seem to me like a um, a detail slip for somebody so meticulous. It's Dr. Shields. Yeah, that she wouldn't find that. Because I know that Jessica, she like wants to talk to Thomas, and he doesn't want to talk to her. And she's like, well, I didn't give you something file and I thought it was the photo. I thought what she didn't give him was the part where she knew like that last scene with April. I thought that's what she didn't give like that final note where she said that April admitted to having an affair with Thomas. So Thomas is asleep on his stomach, floral comforter rumpled around his bare torso but the setting is unfamiliar. He's not in the bed we shared. Was he in yours, Jessica, or April's, or yet another woman's? It no longer matters. Mm. So to me, that says that this is the first time she's seeing the photo because she doesn't know which bed it is. Yeah. Just thought that it was very weird. And like I said, it could just be something overlooked by the writers, but I for sure would have thought that that would be something she would know because she seems to know everything about mm. Jess. I would think the social media post would be the first thing she would check, unless she assumed that, well, no, I mean, she recognized Thomas's back from that photo, so she would have recognized it. Well, we media. are kind of thinking that she's doing this herself, because she did have her minion bent, and she probably would have given him specific instructions. I want you to look for a girl that's doing this, doing that, talking about the guy she hooked up with last night, and left the, that task to him. Instead of really searching for incriminating type photos. And then, do you think it was believable that Dr. Shields didn't know about Noah? She seemed to follow Jess around. Well, she she kind of didn't start following Jess around physically until a little bit later. And she only hooked up with Noah like a couple times before Dr. Shields caught her. So I, I felt like that was believable. Yeah, I did too. And it was, uh, I think it was a nice skill of writing that. It was right after Jessica was supposedly propositioning Thomas and she got followed over to see Noah, the person that could be a representative of a real relationship in her life. 
Yeah. I was a little upset that they didn't end up together in the end, but I can understand why he'd, <laughs> he'd want to, you know, kind of push that away and not want anything to do with that. Yeah. I got really angry when Dr. Shields, like, blew up Jessica's job and lied to Noah about everything that's going on and basically started really gaslighting Jessica. I got so mad. <laughs> well, I think that's the point, yeah, too. By design. Yeah, you yeah. should be mad that she is taking over every area. Yeah, and at the end, I was kind of secretly hoping that you know, she'd be able to repair her relationship with Noah and everything, but I knew I was at the fairy tale versus realism crossroad again, and they went realism because... Look at Noah's situation. I think I'd be like, girl, you too high maintenance. Yeah. And she's going to be messed up after that. She's she's going to need a psychiatrist, and I don't think she's going to go see one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it made me not want to go see one. Did you think that Dr. Shields had her own mental illness going on? She had something going on. Well, she, she was a megalomaniac. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that's like I say, I've said it several times. She's a Bond villain. You know, I'm... This is all about me. Everybody's my my puppet to control. I think she would have went from Bond villain to really good villain if somehow in the story she was doing this for the greater good of mankind. You know? <laughs> well, that's asking a lot. <laughs> it is asking a lot. And it doesn't work in this story. But in good, really great villains down down the, uh, the road, you know, in, in movies and books and that sort of thing, the really great villains are doing it not because they want something. It's because the world needs something. Kind of like Magneto does stuff to like help mutants. Mutant kind, yeah. But he's also like killing humans. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, something like that. Yeah. This story doesn't support that and that sort of thing. And she, she was limited. She was put in a box as far as being the villain. I think. Well, she did. She did kind of say that her greater purpose was, well, if I could do the study and prove what makes people cheat, then I could help stop it. Because she did say that that one guy in the bar was basically a casualty of preventing other people from being hurt in the same way in the future. I don't know how she could possibly use a study to prevent people from having affairs. <laughs> but it sounded like in her mind, that was something that she could accomplish. She's like, this is going to be the study that changes everything. I, I kind of felt like she was lying to herself about that because she was also lying to herself about like maybe it's not thomas's fault like mm, yeah it is he, <laughs> he did this on purpose oh yeah that was funny where she was it's in a guy's nature that if he's propositioned that no matter what he just cannot control himself which i guess is was thomas's explanation but i thought him as a character was also very confusing too because he did these things like lie and I don't really blame him for what happened with April because I feel like she was the manipulative one. In that case, I know that a court system would see it differently, but I think he was kind of manipulated. But he did kind of play the victim role a lot in the book because he was said he was manipulated by Dr. Shields, he was manipulated by April. But was he really a, a good guy? I mean, he still did all these crappy things. Like he's he's a weak male character, and it's I didn't I don't, I don't want to use the word offensive or offended or anything like that. But right off the bat, I didn't think much of Thomas because of that. And for Doctor Shields to base her decision whether Thomas is loyal or not, you know, because of his weakness of just being a man, that was a little insulting. Speaking for all men, everywhere. <laughs> doing that based on a sampling of one, it was kind of unfair. 
That's true. Yeah, because she said, okay, this one guy turned turned it down, so, you know, it's not just because... I was like, wait a second, you got a sampling of one. If you're claiming to really do this as a study, she was doing it for herself, basically. Yes, she yeah. wanted some peace of mind. Yeah. 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 yeah, if she wanted to keep up the study charade, she needed at least, like, ten subjects at minimum, least. depending on what statistics she was going to use at the end. But I think that that was kind of her intent. That's why she was on number 50-whatever for the people in the study is that how many times did she fail trying to find someone that would do this stuff for her? And probably her intention was to have a 100 different women go and do these things, but no one was worthy in her mind or nobody agreed to do it. Is that how brothels get started? (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like she's starting a high-class brothel. Yeah. It's all part of a study. <laughs> I'm just trying to understand. So that's this is all. a government-funded study. <laughs> We're allowed to do this. <laughs> what kind of pokes a hole in that is that April was subject five, not subject one. So she probably initially did have that survey for a morality study that April got into to like you know, mess with their relationship. And then Dr. Shields decided to hunt for someone else like that and have the next next level beyond the survey. But also, $500 for a survey is insane. Yeah, that's a lot. I think I got, like, 1% of my class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Taking this study. But I think that also opens up a question about the timeline because April went to the study on her own. So did Dr. Shields start the second layer of the study because of April? Or did April kind of push become closer with Dr. Shields. Because if she's trying to get closer to Dr. Shields, just taking part in a supposedly anonymous survey isn't... She wasn't even going to meet Dr. Shields. If you go in a lab and you're answering questions on a computer, most of the subjects never even got to talk to her. How did that come to be that it all kind of fell into place? Was it... Did Dr. Shields already know at that point that it was... April, or did she already know that he was having an affair at that point? She just didn't know it was April, and it's just this crazy coincidence that the one person she ends up picking ends up being the person that already had an affair with her husband? I mean, you brought it up earlier that April was a manipulator, so I I think April did find a way to get in contact with Dr. Shields through the survey. She sort of created the second layer of the study, so Dr. Shields was was mimicking a lot of the things that happened with April with Jessica. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that looking at the timeline, April basically initiated things by going into a legitimate study that Dr. Shields was running, but then was it 43 subjects later that she gets lucky and sees Jessica and starts to scope her out as far as if she's the right psychological profile. I think it was based on the answers. It was said in the book, it was based on her answers that made her a candidate for this side study. So it was her answers to those morality questions. The fact that, let's face it, Jessica a little sketchy. She's kind of on the edges. She's Her philosophy is not you know, integrity is what you do when nobody's looking. She's like, oh, yeah, sometimes it's all right to, to lie or, or take justice, of, you know, take justice into your own hands, that sort of thing. And those answers is what got 
Dr. Shields looking at her as, oh, this is my lucky prize. I can use her. I struggle with that because some of her explanations for those didn't justify enough in Dr. Shields' mind. Jessica is this like morally corrupt person because her reasons were because she sleeps around and because she goes drinking. And I don't think that that's a fair justification for someone's character. I mean, she is in her 20s. She's single. She didn't intentionally hook up with Thomas. She didn't know. Well, I think she did say at one point she had slept with a married man knowingly because she walked into the apartment or whatever and there was women's stuff there and she didn't say anything about it. But I think just using the justification of, oh, she drinks and she has sex in one night stands isn't enough to be like, ooh, I'm going to ruin this girl's life and I'm going to help <laughs> have her help me ruin other people's lives. Uh, yeah. I don't think it was just that. I think that's what got her in the door. That's what made her, you know, at the first level of candidacy. But I think it was the answers to her personal, those deep morality questions that got her to ring the bell. Especially her reactions to, I would do things for money. Yeah. Was really the the way in for that. But when she was going through April's file, April was given a different set of questions to answer. It was like, have you ever lied to your doctor? And stuff like that. And Jessica's were like, could you lie without feeling guilty? And things that were a little bit more probing, I guess. So I I think that the study definitely changed in terms of completely different questions, specifically to find someone for the second and third and whatever layers. Who were you rooting for in the end? Did you find yourself being on any one person's side? Or by the end, were you like, man, all these people are nuts. I don't agree with what anybody did. I'm not on anyone's side. I'm not rooting for anybody. I was rooting for Jessica. There were things she did that I did not like, like how she sort of stalked Dr. Shields back, but definitely wanted her to get out of this okay. Because in my mind, she had the best motivation through the whole thing. She was always trying to get money for her family and for her sister, but everyone else was much more, I want this thing for me. I felt like Jessica deserved to get out of it. Okay. I want to answer that as far as the, the end and then the very end. Okay. Because <laughs> near the end, near the end, because of the anger that you talked about earlier when Dr. Shields just tore her life apart. And I was angry too. I was like, oh, she's got to get hers. This this must be, this is injustice and it must be ratified. I was reading for Jessica all the way up to the end and, you know, the meeting in her, in her uh, apartment and everything and rooting for Jessica. But then at the very end, when she extorted Thomas, basically, I can see where she's kind of got a right to that, but it deflated her hero persona to me a little bit. So I was almost neutral, but I guess I would be on Team Jessica just slightly still at the end. Happy for her that she's maybe now a changed person that can get into a real relationship with another Noah-like character that's out there. That's what I'm, I'm hoping is is at the end, so I'm kind of rooting for her, but not as much as I would be if, they, if there wasn't the extortion in Yeah, that kind of threw everything for a loop. But I was happy that she did get some resolution with her family situation. Do you think that it made sense that she blamed herself for what happened with her sister? Yeah. I mean, I can see how, you know, she was supposed to be watching her and she left the house. So I I see why she placed the blame herself. I I could definitely see why. And it just, it makes sense that she would be blaming herself. But as soon as I heard that story initially, I was like, are those parents crazy? You know (laughs) <laughs> what can happen with, because how old was Jessica when this all happened? She was like 13. She's 13 years. I wouldn't leave my 13-year-old surrounded by armed guards. 
<laughs> sometimes <laughs> in, in the house, let alone be responsible for another life. I think it was a little bit questionable on the parents because of the age. If she was 16 or something like that, it's a little bit different. Yeah. It wasn't it an extended period of time, too? It, it was, like, yeah. all day. It was, like, eight hours. Yeah, because she was talking about having having to entertain her over that period of time. So I was like, no, I don't blame you, Jessica. Your parents, like, dropped that ball. Yeah. I thought it was interesting how they all blamed themselves for different parts of it. And if they had all communicated with each other years and years ago, maybe they would all have a better relationship and not have that guilt weighing on them. Because I think it was the dad that said, it was not any one thing. It was all these circumstances put together, which is true. And how do you know? Like, when you go to leave your sister in a room, the last thing you would think is, oh, she's going to fall out the window. Yeah. You would think she would just be upset and mad in the room and not try to climb out the window. I think that they probably would have addressed it. And I'm just imagining these as real people. Uh, and I may be dating myself now, but uh, I'm referring to a movie, Ordinary People. Had you seen that movie? Well... There's it's a fantastically good movie that won Academy Awards. The whole this family is kind of torn apart because you know one of the family members, the son, or the son commits suicide, and the brother blames himself. That sort of thing. If it was you know Jessica's sister fell out and died, I think it might have even been might have been talked about earlier because you know you you kind of have to face that. But she was diminished mentally. And there's a lot of other stuff to worry about and do because of that instead of trying to figure out, well, you know, how did this all happen? If it was a, a final blow, it probably would have been brought up earlier. I, I thought it was interesting, the parallels between her family and uh, Dr. Shields' family, but being totally different because technically Dr. Shields could have also blamed herself for her sister's death because she locked the door and her sister couldn't get in. But she did not blame herself at all. So even though they both shut or locked a door, locked their sister in or out. They had very different reactions to who gets the blame. Yeah, that is a parallel I forgot about. And another weird coincidence that she ends up picking the girl who has this crazy situation with her sister happen. I think that it's a little too perfect of a coincidence. It's one of the, you know, you have to kind of overlook it because it's a book. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of thought that it that was part of forming Dr. Shields into the cult person that she was, distancing herself because of that thing. Because she examined that she probably would be in the whole bath of emotion and feeling that Jessica was over that subject. There were kind of polar opposites on it. Jessica was really having her life run emotionally because of that one part. And Dr. Shields was very clinical starting from that point. Okay, so one of the themes that was like very obvious because it was in the, the explanation of like part one, part two, was making assumptions about people. So like Jessica had assumed that Dr. Shields was a guy for the longest time until she actually like saw Dr. Shields. Whereas I had assumed Dr. Shields was a woman because there's so many women in psychology. But I had also assumed that Jessica was black until we saw her sister. Really? Yeah. What did you guys picture her as until she was described? Well, I think part of that has to do with the fact that I had the hard copy book. Oh. <laughs> so I could see two women on the cover that are white. So that's the mental image that I had. But you guys both read the ebook version. So mm -hmm. I guess you didn't have that going into it. 
I kind of default to white, you know, when I'm reading uh, a character that sort of until I, you know, see some kind of cue or something in the story, something that tells me, you know, where the location is or or this how the people talk and that sort of thing or just a description. I kind of defaulted to that almost based on um, her job. I can't ima- I didn't imagine anybody in New York City if they're doing high dollar clients just do makeup for high dollar clients, you know, because initially I didn't know it was a beauty buzz thing. I didn't know she was part of a chain. I thought she was kind of entrepreneurial doing that on her own. And I said, okay, this it's not going to be some urban kids going to be doing that. But um, yeah, I just kind of, I kind of, people kind of are a blank slate until I'm giving some, some details into the book. I, I made the assumption. She kept talking about how her hair was curly. Curly hair, curly hair, curly hair. And I was like, okay, maybe it's like the the very tight curly hair. Uh, And she described her skin as darker than Dr. Shields when she met Dr. Shields. So I was like, oh, okay. And then we met her sister and she was like, oh, my sister's so pale with freckles. I was like, oh, oh. (laughs) (laughs) I did think that Dr. Shields was a man until we got to the other POV, uh, just from the initial, when she was in the room taking the survey. I shouldn't make that assumption because I work at a university (laughs) and as a female, I feel like usually people assume that their professors are going to be male, but just how it was written did make that assumption as well. I fell into that too. And uh, what happened with me on that when she was just started the study, I assumed Dr. Shields is a guy and the question's coming up and there was a creepiness factor. Okay, the creepiness factor is kind of like at here. And then when I found out that Dr. Shields was a woman, then the creepiness factor dropped. It really shouldn't have. You know, it should have been just as creepy. But for me, I was like, oh, it's a woman. So it's okay, you know, for her to ask those questions. Then Dr. Shields, she just blew the top off the creepiness factor after that with her actions and thoughts. So I found it interesting that I went on that roller coaster creepiness ride. (laughs) Yeah, the creepiness was almost like a love type of obsession between all of them. Like even April for Dr. Shields and for Thomas. Like I feel like she loved them both. And was obsessed with them both. And I felt like Dr. Shields was obsessed with Thomas, Jessica, and April. So it was just this weird love square going on. <laughs> or triangle plus one. <laughs> with, with Dr. Shields is concerned, I think that with the with Thomas, the love was love. Okay. But with with April and Jessica, it was like like I love that couch. You know, it's a possession of yours. Yeah. And if it got set on fire, you know, I would be upset for a minute, but Okay. Or if I have to find I have to get rid of it, I can deal with that. But Thomas was the, the line in the sand love. So it was on the sliding scale in her mind, I think. We haven't talked about the Me Too moment. The, the Oh, yeah. yeah. I did feel like that was kind of overshadowed by all the other stuff that was happening. But yeah, I thought that it was really interesting that Dr. Shields later used that against Jessica. She accused Jessica of stealing her necklace. That's why she broke into the house. And that's what she was going to report. She's like, they'll believe me because you were previously accused of stealing by your former employer, which was the guy who then tried to, it wasn't clear exactly how far he tried to take it. He made her <laughs> lift up her shirt and then masturbated to it, which is... And then that was it. He was done. Yeah. yeah. I um, didn't know if it had gone further than that and they just stopped at that. It, I, either way, it stopped there. I mean, it was I got the impression because she described the, she went into some fairly detail and she was like, okay, 
okay. After that, he had done his business, and I was I was able to walk out of there. It was such a strange scene that you know, number one, I forgot even bringing it up in our discussion, and number two, going throughout the book, I mean, I have to be reminded of it several times. When I said, "Oh yeah, that did happen." It's something that could have been very powerful, but it was just I don't know, like an unexploded bomb. I mean, I. I- think they were trying to use it as like oh she has a weird relationship with men now and that's why she kind of goes out on these one night stands because of her weird psychological damage from this moment but it didn't quite gel right and just sort of felt a little bit almost like they added it later Last yeah, and I think even in Jessica's own mind, I'm not going to say it wasn't a big deal to her, but she didn't see it in the light that it actually was until somebody told her it was sexual assault. And she was like, oh, yeah, never thought about it that way. And I was like, well, you know, why wouldn't you? I mean, I get that. I've had circumstances in my life where until recently when all of the information coming out has come out it did click with me later oh that was assault because at the time you just assume like well yeah it was an awful experience but you blame it on something else or you're like well it was my fault because or whatever and now people are more vocal about it and they're like no this is rape this is assault and there's clear definitions of what is and it's a broader spectrum than I think a lot of women and men realized before So I can see how when it happened, she didn't associate it as that. Yeah. And now she does when someone points it out. And I think that also could impact why it hasn't impacted her as much as it probably could have. I mean, they did use it as an excuse, but she's not like emotionally tormented by it every day. Like some people are because in her mind, she didn't see it as as assault. And I think if she had attributed it as assault when it happened, maybe it would have impacted her in a different way. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Because sometimes it's like, oh, well, I you know I wasn't touched, so it's not assault. But like, yeah. Uh. <laughs> I think that kind of keys into how maybe it explains, you know, how she was so malleable initially with not the shields and so easily sway, if, if that's her mindset. I do think that that would play into it. But I think with Dr. Shields, it was more just the authority figure. I think she has shown that she is susceptible to that. And I don't know if you could tie that into what happened with her sister and authority figures and relationships she has with her parents. I'm sure you could dive like deep into the connection between all of it. And that's probably kind of what they were going for in all of her life events. Um, But I think that might be diving too deep into it. (laughs) (laughs) What would you guys rate this book on a scale of one to five? And would you recommend it to other people? I would say it was a four. I mean, I, I enjoyed reading it. I got through it pretty fast. It definitely pulled me in and made me stay. But I I generally don't do well with psychological thrillers because they freak me out and they make me mad. So I would recommend it to someone who likes psychological thrillers. But if that's not your jam, I would say don't read it. I pretty much agree for what it is, a psychological thriller. It was a good book. It was engaging. I would go, I want to be fair and say three and a half stars. I don't think I would go four you know, the four and five range is something that is for a different kind of book for me. But it was a good book and I would recommend it. In fact, as soon as I figure out how to loan this ebook to my daughter, I told her I'd you know, loan it to her somehow. Yeah, I agree. I would give it, I think, a four. Usually I give fours to books that engage me. Like, I don't ever want to give up on it. And I definitely felt hooked. It made logical sense for the most part. There weren't any glaring plot holes. It was written pretty well. I only give fives to books that are like, I'm going to keep rereading this book. I'm going to recommend it to everybody I know. But this book, 
I would recommend it, like you said, to anyone who likes psychological thrillers. It's definitely not for everybody. I know a lot of people do get really creeped out by things that could be true. It could happen. People do stalk. They do obsess with people. They do get manipulative. I mean, obviously, this is an extreme exaggeration and probably, hopefully, wouldn't happen, but it could. But would you now go and read their other book, The Wife Between Us? That is another one that's been on all the top charts and on bookshelves. What genre is it? Same. Psychological thriller. Maybe, but I'd have to read something happy in between. (laughs) (laughs) A palate cleanser. (laughs) I kind of feel the same way. Left to my own devices without coercion, I probably wouldn't pick that as my next book because I like to read like a true mystery or a true thriller without the psychological aspects. If I was told that, you know, this is the next book you got to read, I would actually be looking forward to it based on how this book was done. Yeah, I will admit that when I saw The Wife between us on bookshelves I kind of judged it I'm like "Mm, that looks like one of the books that is popular but not really a well-written type of book that's just the vibe I got from it and that's definitely me judging the cover (laughs) the title (laughs) and all that so now I have a different perception of it after reading this book I think that it was actually really well written and I think that the other book could be well done as well and since it got such positive feedback I'd be willing to read it I do switch up genres a lot I definitely couldn't read it right after this one and I would be comparing it to this one too much I have to give it some space Mm -hmm. great well thank you both for joining me in this discussion and I look forward to our next book yeah thank you thank you for listening to the judging more than just the cover podcast I'm Amber Gregg Join us next month to see what we thought of another best-selling book. The discussion doesn't end here. Let us know your thoughts in the comment area. Enjoyed the show? Share the love. Give us a like, a follow, and share with your friends. Find more reviews, discussions, and articles related to writing, publishing, and editing at judgingmorethanjustthecover.com. Or follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Give us a shout. Until next time, peace out.